Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. In this episode of Our Classroom, we have Dr. Gloria Rosario Wallace representing New York City, talking about liberation pedagogy. Dr. Wallace is an educator, scholar, and activist. She's also the executive director of the Chief Strategies Team of the New York City Department of Education. Let's go. This evening, we're going to be talking about liberation pedagogy. And so I'm glad to have you on to, to share your understanding, share your expertise, to help us learn. And that's that's what the platform is all about. Just uh, give them the space for us to share uh, insight and perspective and, and what's happening as it relates to education, whether it's in schools or, or in other spaces, uh, but also to hear from dynamic people doing dynamic work. And so uh, I was highly impressed with you when we were on a panel together uh for the ap new york I'm, I'm chopping up the you know the name of the group i'm sorry y'all mm-hmm. um but the panel was us um a collective of us talking mm-hmm. about colorism uh and particularly colorism within the latino latina latin a mm-hmm. uh community and so that's where dr um Rosario Wallace and I first connected, and then I followed up. And so, uh, thankfully, she accepted my invite to join us in our classroom to talk about liberation pedagogy, which she has studied and has expertise in. And so, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, And I I think this is a good question because people hear about different types Mm -hmm. of pedagogy, and I know how things could get muddled a bit and people might get confused about what's what. And so in this case, can you share with our audience, what is liberation pedagogy and why should people learn about it? Oh my goodness. So this question already, it's like, we don't have enough time, right? So when we were right on that panel that was hosted by my colleague Marisol in AP for All, right? Within the New York City Department of Education, I was surprised and not surprised that it was like predominantly a Dominican panel. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we got we got things to say, right? So I just want to make you know establish some parameters that we're all experts, right? Just by being alive, taking our breath, our experiences, we're all experts. So I'm just sharing a little bit about you know this huge topic just from my purview as someone I've only been in the Department of Education, right? This is my 19th year. Um which feels a little crazy to say, but liberation pedagogy, I think now, you know, we say, we throw words out like liberation. um, And sometimes we don't really, (laughs) we don't really mean it in the truest sense, right? So when I started thinking about this and what's the the best way to convey what this is, I actually drew, I drew a picture (laughs) because I see it almost like a tree, right? And the very, at the roots of this, pedagogy is frere. And I think a lot of folks, maybe we read Pedagogy of the Oppressed, maybe you read it in undergrad, maybe um, it was a long time ago. You know, I always recommend for people like dust it off, read it again, and also to force yourself to racialize what you're reading, right? The first time I read it, 
I don't know, I think 19 or 20. I don't know. I was a baby. Um, and I walked away like thinking I knew what it was. <laughs> and I've revisited a lot since then. But so with and I want to for some people, liberation pedagogy goes even deeper than that. Right. It goes to your spiritual grounding. Uh, like who decides that we are free right like it comes to like the enlightenment thinkers like mm-hmm. this is not a new concept but there's a reason why we as black brown indigenous people have been constantly fighting for liberation and it has not been uh granted easily and when i talk about liberation for my like social studies brethren uh we might be thinking about like literally the laws and you know well uh, slavery was abolished and blah, 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 blah. But when we're talking about liberation pedagogy, we're talking about what are the conditions that we need to create in our schools so our communities can be free in every sense of the word. So not just uh, literally, like that we are without chains, but spiritually, mentally, physically, psychically, what are the things that we need to remove out of the way so folks can be free? Um, and along that line, like, um, Freire's roots like have spread right like um, in I want to say almost every content area possible right but in my lane in the school lane uh, there's so many folks uh, that have um, deepened the conversation right like, like Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings like if I don't say her name I think I feel like lightning is gonna strike me um, Dr. Geneva Gay like there's like seminal work, uh, things that we probably read in one context or another, but without the 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 full picture of what this is. And then like contemporary say, like Chris Edmond, Dr. Godi Mohammed, um, you know, Dr. Eddie Fergus, who are really, really practically talking about if we want our black and brown children to succeed, like this is what um a curriculum could look like. These are the five pursuits, right? Like Dr. Muhammad's five pursuits that can be applied to any content area, any grade band. Um, you know, lots of folks will pick up a book, Dr. Bettina Love, right? Her abolitionist teachers network, really, really practical. Like this is how you do this. So I feel like the liberation conversation has evolved into abolition, but abolition, not everyone <laughs> who may have the t-shirt is really an abolitionist right? You may be a reformist. And a reformist means I'm just going to like move things around. I'm going to take the existing structure and like sort of make it work. Um, <laughs> like when you think about uh, like the Black Lives Matters movement, there's like division within that movement of those who are abolitionists and then those who just want reform. And, you know, I'm just solidly here to talk about liberation and not making some something that wasn't designed for us trying to make it fit because that's not going to work so i hope that was so then, what, no no that's great that was great that was a wonderful breakdown um and and the follow-up to that is why why should people well, i think i mean this? i feel like the real question embedded in that right if you are not a black person then why should i care right um i would imagine that a person who's of color bipoc how i would imagine that you would care about not just your freedom, but the freedom of others, right? As we think about parallel movements, right? Um, a lot of my career was spent in the alternative school district and alternative schools didn't start in New York City in like the 2000s. This came out of the 60s and the 70s and the protest movements of black power, red power, queer power. Like these movements happened 
together, right? Along the same time, because for a reason, right? A lot of people were inspired by the Panthers, saw what they were doing, like, how can we make this work for our own struggle? So I think for someone who may not see themselves as part of that, and you saw yourself, you know, it just want to be a teacher, I just want to teach, uh, you know, this is what I signed up for. I always want to remind folks that teachers are political beings. Like, there's no way that you can be in a classroom and, and you're neutral. Just by being neutral, you're, you're picking a side, right? And that's usually the side of white supremacy. So the reason why I think people should care is we talk a lot about liberation in, like, roundabout ways and critical theology in roundabout ways without really knowing what it is. So I always want folks to go back to the original, like, not just the original words of the educators. Like, I think someone like James Baldwin is equally as important in this movement and this conversation, right? Like, his letter to teachers is something that I gave my teachers, you know, like every other year. Like, let's look at this again, right? And what is he telling us that we should do? So I would imagine because of love of community, love of culture, love of self, you would want everyone to feel that same joy and love. And if you feel like you are a free person and you feel like this society allows you to be your true authentic self, that I would, I would imagine you would want that for everyone. And that that's my why. That's the reason I think this is compelling for any person, regardless of if you're an educator or not. Um, if you know any young people, whether you employ them or you birth them, I would think this is something that you would want to know about. Mm. Now, <clears throat> you you mentioned alternative schools. And you spent 13 years mm -hmm. in transfer high schools in New York City. You co-founded a high school in Brooklyn uh, for overage, under-credited students. Um, and that presented you with the opportunity to uh, implement liberatory mm -hmm. and critical pedagogy uh, and to design inclusive an inclusive learning community. So I'm curious, uh, can you share the trials and triumphs from that experience? Because I'm, I'm thinking about what you just said, and particularly what you said about um, those who prefer reform uh, as opposed to liberation pedagogy. And I would imagine that many people who prefer reform is because some of the trials can feel insurmountable. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious to know from your particular experience, um, what were the trials and the triumphs that, you know, you encountered mm -hmm. when you co-founded well, that And I know there's some people, some people who are watching us now. Um, I think they saw the trials and the triumphs. Like I tried, right? So the, the, the thing with liberation pedagogy, right, is that you're never done. Like freedom is never just you got it, it's done, right? Like, as you're, like, at least I'll speak for myself, as I became more conscious, I think my first consciousness was around gender. And that's probably, you know, growing up in a Dominican household, there's three boys and three girls, right? I was the youngest girl. I was very, like, aware <laughs> that my brothers could do things I could not, right? And no one talked to mommy about it. She was like, oh, they're boys, get to get it. I'm like, you got to stay in this house. And like, I was very quick to articulate this does not, this is not right. Right. Um, but as I grew and, you know, I grew up in Washington Heights. I went to school in New York city public schools. till high school, like 
seeing a racialized context I was in, coming home, talking to my family and getting a different context. I was like, okay, well, things, things are, we're not talking about things the same here, right? Um, so when I became an educator, then I was fortunate enough to meet one of my dearest friends, Lily, who invited me into the process to found the school. Like we really had big ideas for what this school can be. Like we wanted this radical place, right? And in reality, so alternative schools in New York City, like I said, 60s, 70s have existed. Uh, transfer high schools were officially named in like 2006, 2004, that, that time frame. And essentially we just created like another high school. You know what I mean? So we had kids, kids, they're like 15 to 21. They had at least one year high school. And essentially we were asking them just to do high school to like leave that building, come to this building, right? So where was the freedom to exist? So one of my biggest like trials and i don't i don't i don't i don't know if this trial is over i don't know if i think i'm still on the stand like trying to make it work is i did not see how systemic racism systemic oppression and white supremacy that is why the kids were there the young people that came to the school i was a part of were beautiful smart talented just i just every time i was like where are we getting all these kids from? Like, this is amazing, right? But why were they overage and accredited? And that's the official New York City term. I think it's also a federally term where you're like at least two years behind where you're supposed to. So you're like uh, age-wise 17, but you only have credits of a, of a freshman or a sophomore. You're overage and accredited. And some states <laughs> don't have any options for those young people. They just say, like, go to work or figure it out. So New York at least tried. New York City and state tries. Um, but essentially, we're asking these young people who are not just court involved, right? Because there's there's youth and youth testing and trying and figuring things out. But there's also like, I'm living in this community that's over-policed. I'm living in a community where um, we can't get the resources we need unless we go into this office. Um, essentially fill out all these papers, get talked down to. Um, you know, if you're from an immigrant family, there's language barrier. There's like, oh my goodness, the 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 hurdles you have to jump for citizenship in this country, right? If you are from a certain country, if you speak a certain language, if your if your skin's a certain color, it's way harder, right? You don't just touch the soil and I'm an American citizen. So as we took in all these students, we're like, you know, we'll give them love, we'll give them the best education we can, but we failed to talk about the systemic barriers that they were facing, right? Until much, much later. And I, I would like to think <laughs> I, I did I didn't uh, an adequate job as a principal doing that. Um, but I think I could have done it much better. But the thing that I think a triumph for me felt like, and this still feels true, is I would see my adults in the same light as my young people. So if my young people need to learn this, like what is it that we need to know to show up for them? And I've been in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different schools now that I work um, in the central office and schools run differently. Like you cross the street and you're in a whole other world. And I want to imagine that the community, the love, the acceptance for you be who you are 
obviously we have norms and 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 you know guidelines we want you to follow, but we want you to be you, you know. Um, and the more I grew into myself as a leader, I realized dress code, that's stupid. Like, why am I wasting time talking about dress code? Like, why am I policing kids' bodies? I don't need to do that. <sighs> and always, oh, when you go to work, oh, when you go to this, I'm like, yo, you're at work right now. What you wearing? I'm not policing you, right? Like, and UFT guidelines, I can't tell a teacher what to wear or what not to wear, right? So it's just like these rules are, it's like a, it's like a game. And we're, we're making the kids play this game that they're going to lose. So I think that felt, will always feel the triumph to me is a relationship I had with my staff and the, the conversations that we had, especially in my last years as a principal, where really named race, we really named gender. We talked about like, how have we been complicit in these systems that have harmed our kids? Um, and those aren't easy conversations to have. And I know people were not comfortable doing it, but they, mm-hmm. they tried, right? They engaged because they saw like how it will connect them more to the students. So I think, you know, when I'm like a viejita in my, in my rocking chair, on my wherever I'm at, hopefully somewhere warm, I would think back to that and say, okay, I did that one thing right. You know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't do so well. Um, but looking at my staff as an extension of the learning that you don't expect adults to show up like fully formed and ready to do all the stuff, that's like really unfair. That's good. That's good. So <clears throat> part of your much of your current work um, as executive director with strategy team of New York City Department of Education focuses on strategy. And so for individuals who are interested in kickstarting their journey um, of liberation pedagogy, what are three things that you would encourage them to do now? Let me, I'm going to look at my watch, make sure, how much time? Okay. So the thing that I think always frustrates people is that I'm not going to give you a book list because I'm sure you already read it. I'm sure like there's, um, tons of podcasts and books and articles and and like organizations like yours that people should be in touch with and follow but if you don't do your self-work like it doesn't matter you know what i'm saying like i could be surrounded by brilliance but it's not going to penetrate so when i say self-work one of the key learning experiences that i had right and when you talk about learning happens wherever i think this was in a hotel conference room in like philly um, I went to the Courageous Conversations about Race National Summit. And one of the questions was, how have you failed Black boys? And like, that to me, it came left, it came right. I was like, well, what, what? Because, you know, I was taking notes. I was like chatting with people. And they came, like, they turned on the lights. And they it was like a boom bap moment. Because, right, as an educator, I can think about it like, as, as a leader, as a teacher, you know, I can even name the young men and um, trans mask folks. I can see them. I know I failed them, right? I know I did. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for them at the time I came into their lives. And that's my fault, not theirs. But when I started thinking about my own relationships with the Black men in my life, my brothers, my nephews, my father, that's when, that's when like the Charlie Brown tears come because how am I showing up for the men in my life in, re- in real time, not on the clock? So 
and I, that wasn't like resolved right I didn't, it wasn't like 30 minutes later boom, but okay I got it I'm ready like I, that question has stayed with me it's been three years since that question I think and I still think about it and I think about it on my team right how am I showing up for the black men on my team or how am I not right so I think doing that self-work first and then you can like jump into the conferences and the books but you have to see like where have I been complicit and that's the hard stuff and you might need like real talk with somebody who knows you because you may not be aware of it but people have been observing you and they can give you that feedback the other piece that I learned from my <laughs> my dear coworker Drew is hi deal after 2020 I got so many emails and calls and like, can we talk about this? And can you come to my office or, you know, virtually? Everyone felt like a sense of urgency of like, now we have to have a statement or something, right? And it's like, but for what? Right. So if you don't have a clear purpose, right? And goal for whatever it is you're doing, like, don't do it. Like when I think back to like what I made my poor staff experience like sit and like have hard conversations in my mind i saw how that would translate into better practice in the classroom i knew that would translate into better relationships with our students and i i saw it i could speak to it but if you're making folks do really uncomfortable things just because you think you're supposed to or because oh i saw you know chris Emden speak and i was so inspired and he he talked about this so i'm going to talk about it you're not Chris Emden. Like, no one, no one asked you to do this. No one hired you. No one like put out a flyer or your face on it. For like, what is the reason? And for a lot of people, the reason is, oh, I want to do it because I need, I want the practice. Well, then you can find practice somewhere else before you you involve all these other people. And and now hearken to my 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 current colleague Tony, where she often bring, uh, brings up the thought of thinking generously, thinking expansively. So when I talk about liberation, I talk about the entirety of the word. So early in my in my consciousness, in my work, in my reflection, I my goal was I want to love black people. That's it. How do I love all black people? Right? So that means confronting the colorism I experienced as a child and as a like before I even have words, but that also means like gender, sexuality. That means like economically speaking, right? So as I've engaged in this learning, this work, I've moved on the spectrum to a much more uh, liberal, open place, right? And I don't think people anticipate that, but you can't half step it. So if you want to talk about liberation, then you do need to talk about student loans. You didn't need to talk about trans women's rights. You do need to talk about the horrible bills that are passed, uh, like it's up in, in Georgia, uh, in Texas, in Florida, even though I don't live there, right? But my people live there. So what can I do to show up for them? So just think as broadly and as big as possible because liberation doesn't mean, oh, we can zoom in on to our staff meetings on Tuesday. That's what that's like. Thank, thanks for that, but that's not liberation. Or you know, we're gonna have a guest speaker every February. Oh, this it's gonna be an Afro Latinx speaker. Look at that, two for one. Like, like no, like you can miss me with that. I don't want to be a part of small visions and small dreams. I want to be a part of the big picture. So I think, but you can't get there if you don't do your your self work first. Right, right. 
So got to do self-work, folks, and also make sure your purpose is clear. Understand your purpose. Commit to your purpose. Let's not be performative. Um, so what's a message of encouragement that you want to share with, with our audience? Um, because we, we know this, this work is challenging. And as you mentioned, liberation pedagogy, it doesn't end. It's ongoing, right? So in the process of this ongoing work, it could feel draining. So what's the message of encouragement mm -hmm. that you sure, want to well, leave people? Well, the thing that really makes me feel like connected and at peace is that this is not solo work. Like when I say the self-work, that's you. That's you and your own stuff. I mean, that you're talking to your family, you're talking to your partner. But the right. work of liberation is not an individual task. That's collective work. And then to me in the collective, that's joy, right? Like when I think to the most rounding, fun, inspirational moments I've had in doing this work, it's been with other people. It wasn't me by myself reading a book in my house. <laughs> like that wasn't it. Like that could have led to the thing, right? So as my like my vision has gotten broader, like that's brought me, I would have never met you, you know, and like how dope are you? Like this is like this is what dope thing. <laughs> Super dope. Right? But like to find other people, particularly other people my same like cultural background, right? Like not and I was when we were on that panel, one of the things that really like got me is when you introduce yourself, you like named your children, right? You weren't there just for yourself, right? There's your partner, there's your children. Like this work is not solo. This is generational work, right? Like we're doing this work to pay back the debt we owe, the folks that came before us, like those whose names we know, and then all the people whose names we don't know, and we may never know their names. But also, like, our children, their children, their their classmates. Like, when I think about that, and when I think about how the conversation has shifted, and this isn't, like, a private by the coffee machine or um, on the group chat, like, these conversations are happening much more publicly, and people are asking for things much more publicly, like, that makes me super joyful. Like, I just picture my kids' faces um, whenever I'm writing those emails to their teachers where I know they don't want to hear from me again, but they're gonna. Like, that's it. That's my motivation, but it's not just limited to them. I think about all their little friends. I think about my colleagues and their kids. Like, this is the the lifeblood of why we have to do this work. And it's not just, you know, like easy on my couch. I'm going to like tap in when I feel like it. This is work you do wherever you are in the bodega, in your house, at work, like with your family, like with that cousin you don't want to talk to anymore. But, you know, she here's another post you got to address. Like you can do this work wherever you are. And to me, that's work. But that makes me happy because it means we are agitating our own communities and our own lives to be better, to be more honest and accepting and authentic. And just think about like how free the future generation will be. Like you can look however you want. You can dress however you want. You can show up. Like you don't have to pull up your pants. You don't have to do that. And you don't have to take off your bonnet or your do-rag. You don't have to do that. I'm still going to respect you as a human being. Like that would have taken a lot of stress off my back as, as a 16-year-old. Um, on those humid days when I'm running to school, you know, trying not to like mess up whatever little thing I did, but feeling like, oh, I don't want to see this thing on my head. Like, why are we 
why was I stressed about that, right? That's ridiculous. So if I can take that burden off one other person, to me, that brings me joy. That's great. When you talk about the collective bringing you joy, it makes me think about, I bring in a lot of sports analogy just because I grew up playing a lot of sports and coaching basketball. But it makes me think, think about how I feel when I'm playing basketball alone and, you know, I'm shooting and there's imaginary players on the court and they're playing defense um, <laughs> versus when I'm actually playing with a group of individuals. Whether I know them or not, uh, just playing with a group of individuals, it's, it, it makes the game more fun and it helps me experience more joy. And so I, I love what you're saying about how the collective brings you joy because there is encouragement in that. There is encouragement in knowing that others are on the grind. Others are, are studying um, similar pedagogies. Uh, others have the same level of interest in doing the work. Uh, and yeah, people may be all over the spectrum, but, you know, but people are working towards some common goals. And so thank you for that encouragement. I hope everybody uh, listening receives that and that it, it fills your cup it fills it certainly fills my cup to um hear from you and and to know more about the work that you're doing uh to continue to be able to learn from you uh and know that you know even though you're in new york and i'm, I'm in florida that we're doing similar work we're trying to make that impact in our respective communities and as you mentioned also trying to make that impact on a generational level uh, I, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm proud, uh, you know, a proud Dominican here, watching you from afar and supporting your work and, and very grateful to have you on this platform and looking forward to continuing to hear from you, to learn from you, to collaborate with you so we could make a greater impact uh, in, in our respective communities oh, in the world at large. Same, same, same. I, I know we got to end, but thank you. This Listen, like, it, and if this is not joy, then what is it? Like, we have to look beyond, right? Like, states away. There's, like, inspiration. There's joy. And it's just, like, we're not alone. We're not alone in doing this. Like, this work is not just, you know, in our little states. This is There's an international coalition of folks who are fighting for our collective freedom. And, like, as soon as we see that, we link up, like... What is there to not be happy with? As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Hermann.